You know you could be more productive if you focused on what you do best and outsource the rest. But finding the skilled professionals you can trust with your business is hard and it takes valuable time. What if you could outsource your freelance hiring to somebody who understands your business and has your back? That's Results Resourcing. They find perfect virtual freelancers on demand for a lower cost and better outcome than a temp agency, your buddy, or somebody's fourth-hand referral. Results Resourcing helps you define your job requirements, then they search the web to find independent professionals who meet your exact requirements. They do the interviews, they vet the top candidates, and they look for skills, experience, cost, and cultural fit to quickly find you a curated, hand-picked talent pool of the best virtual freelancers who can help you succeed. Results Resourcing frees you from the time-intensive hassle of hiring contract pros. They do it for you. Go to ResultsResourcing.com and let them find, vet, and hire your next freelancer for 35% off with the code PFPOD. That's P-F-P-O-D at ResultsResourcing.com. You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. So we often find that um, or meet people who are, you know, really nailed the money thing. You know, they're in a high flying career, but they often struggle to bring meaning to what they do. They're really good at something, but they maybe don't doesn't feed their soul. So, you know, feeds their pockets. They're bringing in great cash. But actually, um, they come home after work and they're burnt out and they don't really know um, who they are. Even sometimes people really lose their identity at work. Um but there's also another group of people who are great with the purpose side, but they really struggle with the money. They've almost got negative relationship to money. And so I guess what we've seen in our community, but also in the wider world, is that there's this kind of mishmash of people, some who you know are out of balance on one side and some who are out of balance on the other side. And I guess the work we try to do is help people to find that healthy balance between all these three things. That was Lawrence McCahill, the co-founder of the Happy Startup School a global community that's now 100,000 people strong. He joins me today to discuss the happiness trap, the belief that many entrepreneurs have that they can either make money, do good, or be happy, but not all three. Along the way, we also discuss the productive benefits of taking time out. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. If you ask me to name the single biggest workplace time waster, I don't even have to think about it. The answer is email. In fact, a recent study found that almost 50% of the time that managers spend tending to their inboxes is spent on emails that should have never been sent to them or that didn't really need an answer in the first place. But what if you could just press a magic button and never see those time-wasting emails again? Well, that's exactly what SaneBox does. With just a few clicks, SaneBox automatically gets your email under control and filters out the messages that don't need your focus. And you don't even have to switch email apps because it works in concert with whichever email clients you already use. It also has some nifty features like the Sane Black Hole, where you can vanquish senders you never want to hear from again, and Sane Reminders for sending email reminders to your future self. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com giant today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com 
slash giant. I've used and loved SaneBox for years, and I think you will too. Lawrence, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, you know, we talk a lot about thriving and happiness here at Productive Flourishing, and it's something that I want to bake into so much of what we do going forward, whether it's entrepreneurship, whether it's your career. And I really love the way that you've talked about the happiness trap. So um, thanks for coming on the show to talk to us about that. And I'm just looking forward to see where the conversation goes. Great. I'm glad to be here. And thanks for the invite. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes from it. Okay, so we'll link to the um, to the post on Medium, story on Medium, if I'm being particular, right? The story on Medium, um, so people can go in, into a deeper dive, but kind of give us the overview of the main topic there. But before you do, where was what was the genesis of the model? Um, well, we started the Happy Startup School back in 2013, and at the time, we actually had a similar model, which was we called the Entrepreneur's happy place because we um, we saw a lot of entrepreneurs starting businesses who were really driven by money as their sole goal. But actually our purpose when we started the Happy Startup School was really to get people to think about not just the money side of things, but also what's driving them personally and also the kind of impact they want to make, the purpose behind it. So I guess this model was formed then, but only got more concrete recently. And really it's just about aligning your need to make money, your need to stay well and look after yourself and I guess a desire for, that we all have to to make an impact really and so it's only the last few months that this has kind of made sense for us and not just focused on startups but ultimately anyone who wants to build more meaning into their uh, jobs and careers too. That's fantastic so go ahead and walk us through it. So really this is, it's a Venn diagram with three circles one of those is money one's purpose and one is happiness and the thing we found is um, it's really difficult for people to stay in alignment with all those three things, right? So we often find that, um, or meet people who are, you know, really nailed the money thing, you know, they're in a high flying career, but they often struggle to bring meaning to what they do. They're really good at something, but they maybe don't, doesn't feed their soul. So, you know, feeds their pockets, they're bringing in great cash, but actually, um, they come home after work and they're burnt out and they don't really know, um, who they are. Even sometimes people really lose their identity at work. Um, but there's also another group of people who are great with the purpose side, but they really struggle with the money. They've almost got negative relationship to money. And so I guess what we've seen in our community, but also in the wider world, is that there's this kind of mishmash of people, some who you know are out of balance on one side and some who are out of balance on the other side. And I guess the work we try to do is help people to find that healthy balance between all these three things. Because um, often we find there's like social entrepreneurs too who are actually making okay money and, and feeling like they've got a um, feeling of impact, but actually are working all the hours around the clock and putting everyone else before themselves. So their own well-being has come at the cost of their mission that they're on. So that's another thing we do is really get people to think about their limits in terms of their you know ability to deliver on their mission, but at the same time also looking after yourself because we found that actually to be at your most productive and creative, you need to take time out and often just stop and that can be the most productive thing you can do sometimes. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you ended at that point because a lot of times when we start talking about this whole thing about self-care and you know rejuvenation, people have this idea that, well, I can be productive or I can take care of myself yeah. um, without saying that actually taking care of yourself is a way of being productive, right? Um, but, but, when we, but when we say, well, what we mean by productive is only those things that generate money. 
Well, you're leaving off a whole hell of a lot of life, you know, of, of things that we might, in a broader sense of what really makes us human, think is productive. You, you're thinking, you're pulling out childcare, or, you know, t- having kids, taking care of kids, you're thinking, you're taking out community involvement, you're taking out just, I mean, I can go down the list of all the things that don't count if what makes money is the only thing that equals being productive, right? And so thanks yeah. thanks so much for ending on that, because that's that's a key point, right? It's not that you're not being productive, it's you're being productive in a different way, and we have to balance all these things. Yeah, and I think, um, not to put it down on lawyers and, and solicitors, but we hear that they're one of the most unhappy professions, because almost every minute is accounted for, right? And everything's a billable hour, and so when they come to planning their life outside of that, then everything's got an opportunity cost, right? And so I think when we start to think in those terms, then it just doesn't make sense not to think of like more work equals more money, right? But actually what we found is if you're doing any creative pursuit, whatever that might be, you know, your knowledge and your <coughs> your brain power is the most important thing. Your ideas are your source. And so, you know, I've often found that if you've got a problem at work, just walk away from it and go for a walk. And that could be the thing that will help you solve that problem versus sitting there in front of a device for 12 hours and actually, you know, come up with the you know crappiest ideas you've ever come up with. So, but it takes experience, I think, to, to know that and to know your own, <clears throat> your own energy levels, really. Yeah. I mean, and I've been reading a great book by Anne. Oh, what's Anne's last name? I think it's Gents. Um, called the writing process or the writer's process. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, I didn't, I should have it off the top of my brain, but I don't, um, but she's talking about Daniel Goldman, Daniel Goldman's work in focus, right? Um, where he talks about open attention and focused attention, right? And open attention is when you're just out in the world scanning. You're not really hyper-focused on something, but your mind is still taking in those new ideas. You're still sort of piecing them together versus focused attention where it's like, I'm focused on this one thing. And, you know, a lot of times when we're thinking about creativity, if you are so trying to make yourself like pay focused attention to things, you're not going to get the insight I mean, you're not going to see the lateral edges. You're not going to do all those types of things. They're going to lead to the thing to solving the problem in the way that you need to. So um, definitely, you know, it's, it's funny because we have to, I found, um, though we could make the argument that we should take care of ourselves just because it's the right thing to do. Um, when you go into sort of entrepreneurial spaces, a lot of time you have to make this economic argument, right? Like actually it's the most productive thing for you to do. People are like, oh yeah, it's productive. I'll do it then. Not just because it's the right thing to do. Right. So in case you needed more, more sort of juice besides it's the right to take care of yourself and be kind to yourself. then there's also these economic arguments that you can use to get there in the same place. I think it depends who you're talking to. With certain people, they need to see that outcome as like, okay, what's the ROI of that time, right? I need to be productive in that time. Um, but then they have that space and then they kind of go, okay, maybe I don't need to be as productive. Maybe I just needed to stop and breathe and look after myself. Um, there's an amazing book um, that we uh, got to know the author recently spoke at our summer camp last year. It's called The Lazy Guru's Guide to Life. And it's a kind of picture book. It's an illustrative picture book, really about applied meditation almost, but done in a way that makes sense makes so much sense there's so much wisdom in that book and it's um it's really helped me and a lot of people in our community to understand that actually we want to be a lazy guru like why would you want to be a crazy burnt out guru you know (laughs) why not work less and be more effective in that time and so it just chews into the idea that actually like when you create space amazing things happen but you won't know unless you go there right and so this kind of inner voice within us is sometimes suppressed when we're just kind of on this treadmill and so um, yeah, I think just getting people to sort of almost 
rewind a few hundred years or head to the east where we're now bringing all this kind of like goodness from you know centuries of uh, wisdom that now suddenly makes sense to us in the west and so yeah it's a great book if you get a chance to read that one um just just because we've teased it three insights from that book that you think everybody should know about um so i suppose the main thing for me is just creating space with no purpose so that's one massive takeaway is not although we just talked about it being productive just putting faith in space putting faith in, and space could be you know yoga it could be a, um going for a walk whatever your space is it doesn't need to be like sitting there in the lotus position meditating you know because for some people that works for a lot of people that doesn't uh, the second thing is the concept of meditation, which I love, which is the idea of just sitting in bed now has a name. <laughs> You're meditating, right? And so um, I think that's nice too because he says, don't worry about the fact you should get up and do this and you should go to yoga and you should go and you know run or go for a walk with your kids, whatever. And I think the third idea is he talks about um, the thundering herds of shoulds. So like all these shoulds that we place on ourselves from – family from you know, our own upbringing from society that when you look at your to-do list chances are like 80 percent of the things on that are shoulds that have just landed there from somewhere and so just being comfortable that actually if you just start to cross those out what would life look like and that's quite empowering too so yeah i'd, I'd say those are the things for me um and it's a great book that you can just pick up again and again so it's like a, a plain read you know good good yeah, um, I like the third point about you know um, shooting on yourself because it's, there's one there's one truth that like we should on ourselves all sorts of ways, but there's also like there's a whole you know family and social construct that's shooting on us at the same time. Um, yeah. But they you know either I either ooh, I can't talk today either our own or those external shoulds they only have power if we accept them to be valid or relevant for our situations. Like if. You know, I say, hey, Lawrence, you should do this. And you're like, actually, that has no relevance to me. I'm not going to do it. That yeah. that should, this ha it has no weight. It's only when you're like, oh, yeah, I should do that, right? Yeah. That, then all of a sudden, it's it, you know, you're, you're buried under that particular should and the whole host of other things that are there, too. Yeah, I think also when you're running a business, you often just see what your competitors are doing or other people that you come across and you think, oh, wow, you know, they've got an app. You know, we, we should build an app. <laughs> you know, it's like there's no real kind of uh, good intention there it's just that fit, that nagging guilt of like oh they're doing something or we should be doing this and before you know it, actually when you think it through it's like no no we don't want to be doing that that's not it's not you know it's not what we're about it doesn't feed me but actually for that moment you have that kind of um yeah i don't know what it is just almost like when you're at school and looking over your neighbor's homework you know <laughs> like yeah. oh they're doing it better than i am yeah well and that's the funny thing is because we assume that because they have an app that it's actually working for them Right. Even if even before we go into the should game, they're like, oh, we've got an app. It must be working for them. When when you look at it, a lot of things that people do don't work for them. Right. And you know that as you teach entrepreneurship and you work with people, you're like, we do a lot of things that actually don't work. And so if you just go around sort of collecting all the things that people are doing as things you should do, you haven't asked, you know, two of the good questions. One is, is this relevant for me? And two, what evidence do I have that it's actually working for them? It could be that massive, like they paid $50,000 for an app that they're never going to get any money out of, right? Um, and it's not actually going to propel their business. That's not a mistake. Even, I mean, even if it was a line, that's not a mistake you want to follow, right? No. Um, and so just, yeah, the FOMO is such a huge thing, right? This is where we get some of these shit like, oh, they, I'm missing out because they have an app. Actually, you might be missing out on a whole lot of debt that you don't want. So how about that? <laughs> Yeah, and like fixing bugs at midnight on a Saturday. 
Yeah. <laughs> Midnight on a Saturday when you're much rather be hanging out with your kids or, you know, cats or a wife or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So kind of pulling back into the happiness trap, you, you sort of listed the three um, parts of the Venn diagram, which was purpose, impact and um, money. Um, and purpose, happiness and money. Purpose. Thank you. Purpose, happiness yeah. and money. Um, yeah. That sort of leads to four different archetypes. So, so tell us a little bit more about those archetypes. Yeah, so the archetypes are really based around where people fit into these concentric circles. Um, so it's easier to see than explain, but in short, there's four archetypes. One of them we call the rat racer. So the rat racer would be someone who's just fully in the money zone. You know, they've they've nailed that. They've probably done all the right things, followed the path that was expected of them. I was there for like, I think, 10 months <laughs> before I got out many years ago when I worked in the city of London after studying economics and realized that wasn't the life for me. But lots of people get stuck in that zone, right? And it's really hard for them to get out once they're in it. And you have to really take a massive leap of faith to, to step out of, you know, this path. So they would be the rat racer. And um, for those kind of people, they're obviously trying to tap it more into the, the people side of things, the human side. Then we have the purpose seeker. The purpose seeker would be someone who's um, doing work that makes them happy, they're kind of feeling like they're making decent money from it, but there's something missing. So this could be um, actually like myself and Carlos who started the Happy Startup School. We used to run a, a small uh, digital agency and we were doing good work, but it got to a point after a few years thinking, well, do I want to be doing this for the next 10, 20 years? You know, I'm feeling like my work's good, but it's not fulfilling. I'm not, the projects I'm working on aren't really giving me the impact that I want. Um, so this would be someone who would be like, I want to find my purpose. I've got my skills. I've got my money coming in, but I'm, I'm looking for something else. Um, then you have the slave. Now, the slave is someone who's um, probably more the social entrepreneur type who has managed to find a sustainable income from it. So they could be building a business around it. And they're full on the purpose. They've got a clear mission in their mind. And actually, they're making a decent living from it. But what we've seen is this audience tends to put others before themselves. So often, they don't have that self-care. They don't put their own well-being at the heart of it. And so whilst they're driven and they're feeling fulfilled, it's not sustainable because ultimately they're, they're working around the clock and really struggling to even know, you know what they're about themselves. And then finally with the idealists. So this is someone who's, I guess, more like an activist, someone who's almost got this picture of money as being evil. Money's a dirty thing that makes people go bad. And so you know, money will actually dilute my creative work or my mission and so therefore i'm driven by this kind of purpose that makes me happy and makes the world better but actually it's not sustainable as any kind of business because ultimately you know the money's not there so whether that's coming from funding or from revenue and so with this audience we've actually found it's not that money's bad it's just that they have this negative connotation about it and so once they start to change their money mindset they realize well actually maybe money can help me achieve my mission maybe money can help me be a better human rather than looking at the rat racer and the people working in you know the big banks thinking this is what happens when people get money right and so we actually have run some lots of different money workshops within our events and it's amazing when you ask a room full of people what does money mean to you and you write it all on up on a chalkboard you'll get every word under the sun describing what money means from um, freedom to security to evil to you know uh, chains whatever it is like money can't be all these things right but people have this relationship to money which actually clouds the way that they build their business and and uh, ultimately 
um, you know, bring in their livelihoods. So for us, it's just seeing where people fit into these different archetypes. And obviously, you might kind of flip flop between them, depending on where you're at with your career. And maybe even some parts of the year, you might um, do better than others. But for us, it's about finding this alignment between these three things, because we found that when you're really clear about who you are and what you want from your work, when you're bringing in enough money for it to be sustainable and for your kind of um, uh, project to work, and also you're feeling like it's it matters, you know, it's work that matters and you're getting that impact, um, the feeling of this is actually helping other people and making a difference. Um, I'm not saying it's easy, <laughs> but um, this is the, the path we're on, building our organization, trying to set a, a role model for other people, but also, I guess, highlighting the stories of people who are making these transitions that are one step ahead of you, because I think once you see people doing this and not just reading about it on a Medium post, then it's that belief system changes because you see, okay, this is actually possible to do. It's not just a, a nice idea. Absolutely. Now, have you seen either in your community or in the world at large that these archetypes are fairly evenly distributed or um, is there, you know, some that's got like 10% and then another one's got like 50%, like kind of what have you seen as far as distribution goes? Um, it's a good question. I think it depends on which bubble you're in to some extent. I mean, obviously we meet a lot of people who are very purpose driven because they're coming to us and they're, they're, they tend to start with that more, but you know, I still, go to the wider mainstream and I would say most people I mean it's no lie that two-thirds of people out there are still you know disengaged at work I mean that's still a figure that keeps coming back in all the studies that have been done over the last few years so that t says to me that most people are stuck in the in the rat race you know most most people are stuck you know basically trying to make their basic need, need their basic needs they're trying to you know make a living and purpose is a luxury for them you know and actually their own well-being is a luxury um, but actually what we found is you know, when you keep your own needs in mind and when you actually think about what it is you want from your career, then the money flows. But it's, I guess, partly not an overnight fix, but also it just takes a change in mindset in terms of what you do. So, yeah, whilst we believe that um, the world is changing, there's still a huge audience of people out there who have this myth that work should be a struggle. And actually, you know, you can't find joy or purpose from, from work. And we're not saying that everyone has to go and start a business. You can find purpose in any job, but it's just about changing your mindset about what it is you can do. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I think it comes back to the Protestant work ethic, you know, that we've sort of taken over over the last two, three hundred years, where our happiness and things that matter to us come as a byproduct of our hard work, right? Like yeah. you, you work your butt off and then wealth and happiness and everything like that comes to you. Um, and also that there's some struggle involved in getting that. And when you release that particular myth and say, what if I can like, find happiness today and find the, the money I need today and find the impact that I need today. And I don't have to approach it from a place of I'm somehow morally deserving of that. Like there's some, you know, I do A and then I get B. Then you start to see all sorts of other ways where you can bake happiness into your day. You can bake impact into your day. You can bake, you know, money making into your day and find that alignment. Yeah. I think, I mean, my parents' generation were very much of the, you know, that ethic, which is, you know, work is a struggle and they, they managed to find uh, fulfillment from it. But ultimately, you know, you work hard and it pays back. And I think my generation and obviously the younger generation now are starting to question that and say, well, actually, I'm not accepting that. You know, I'm not accepting that I want to spend uh, 40, 50 years of my life searching for meaning when actually all I'm going to get is a paycheck when I get to 65, 70. And then if I'm still alive, I'll get to enjoy that. You know, that's the, the prize at the end of the um, rainbow. But actually, you know, 
a lot of people don't even get there and or something happens that means that um you know life smacks them in the face so yeah i think we've kind of tried to experiment with that and say well actually what if you tried to take a different angle and, and break through that but it's still there's ingrained habits in us that are going back centuries almost and it's really hard to even if you know this stuff we still have to you know part of the reason we do our events is as much for us as anything to kind of keep yourself in check you know like a car service to say actually yeah i'm getting into bad habits again i need to kind of take a, um, a step back and start to question everything i'm doing well yeah and it's not like you know it makes me think in some ways of um Plato's allegory of the cave, right? Where there's this sort of idea that you're stuck in the cave and I won't go into it. Um, but the idea is once we get out of the cave of, you know, deception and the cave of illusions that like we're forever out of it. And mm -hmm. yet we live in our society with, you know, so much marketing manipulation, so much sort of, you know, the society starts finding ways to creep those shoulds back into our psyche, right? Yeah. That, that you just have to have these periods of time, whether it's an event like what you're talking about or an error or a reflective process to sort of start pushing all those shoulds away and getting them out of the cracks and cleaning them out of the cracks. Because otherwise they'll pile up on you again and yeah. you'll see you're living someone else's life, which is actually no one's life. It's sort of, you know, I would say the American dream fully aware that I'm talking to a Brit, but I think it's just a Western dream, right? Yeah. Um, of, of that type of thing. And so, you know, you can't just get out of it once you got to get out of it all the time because there's just countervailing societal impulse to push you back into the same old, same old and keeping up with the Joneses and um, so on. So yeah, it's, it's constant work and it's not easy, unfortunately. No. I think the things that have helped us, which we tried to um, communicate through our work is a, the science of happiness. You know, it's not, no longer just a, I guess, a gut feeling about stuff. There's a lot of rigor around the science of happiness, which um, more and more people are using with things like mindfulness and uh, understanding how actually we can become better people and better leaders through this work. Um, so that's one thing. And so we're going to, we try to bring that to our community and say, well, actually, you know, um, purpose is one of the things that make us happy. Being kind to others is one of the things that makes us happy. You know, very few of these things mention money at all. Right. Um, but ultimately, it's about people and social contact. And there's a great movie called Happy, the movie, I don't know if you come across that, um, which goes around the world. And they interviewed over six years the world's happiest people going from Okinawa and all these different communities of people who, who live long and, and prosper. And, yeah, it all came back to the same thing, really, like close contact with people, being part of the community, feeling like the work you're doing matters and actually feeling like you can um, contribute and have that feeling that, yeah, I'm part of something much bigger than myself. And those are the things which we found if you can build that into your business, then A, it will be more resilient, but also you're feeling like this work I'm doing is going to be worthwhile doing for a longer period of time rather than crashing and burning. Um, and the other thing we found is the concept of NVC, nonviolent communication. I haven't studied it a lot, but we've had a few people that run workshops with us. And um, the one thing that we've brought into our um, training is actually around needs. So the first a module on any program we do is all around needs so when you're starting out business it's not about your idea it's not about funding it's not about customers it's about you and you as a human and what is it you need from this business and actually when you start to put those pillars in place and start to understand okay i need to for example have more autonomy about how i work so the reason i want to start a business is i want to have control so therefore autonomy is a huge thing for me being able to travel i want to be able to travel see the world show that world to my kids so if i don't get that my needs won't be fulfilled and the business will probably suffer as a result so trying to build these needs into 
your work may seem very selfish, but actually it means that the business is set for the longer term. And actually, everyone who comes into the company, you want to do the same thing. So kind of building the business around your needs and dreams rather than where the customers take you or where your investors take you, which is often a completely different path to where most entrepreneurs end up and they end up following someone else's path, like you said. Well, that's interesting because um, on the one hand, it's it can seem selfish to start your business with what your needs are until you realize that businesses are meant to solve human ends, right? Our, I mean, human aims and things like that. So it makes sense when you start thinking about it, like this business is meant to serve me in certain ways. And so I need to figure out from the beginning what that looks like and what winning looks like from that perspective, as opposed to, um, you know, following all the metrics and all the FOMO stuff that we've talked about before. Like, oh, you've got to grow a list and you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to have a book. And, you, and like, without ever saying, like, do I actually want to do any of that? Like, am I going to be manifestly happier? Like, it, you know, it reminds me, yeah. it reminds me of a few years ago, Lawrence, where um, I had this guy write me. And he was like, I really need help growing my blog. Um, I don't like to write. I'm not good at it. <laughs> um, and um, he had some other third thing that likes. It's like, I'd really rather be doing something else, but I got to grow a blog. So what would you do? What, what would you tell me to do to grow my blog? And I wrote back to him. I don't think he liked the answer. It's like, don't start a blog. Right? <laughs> don't do it. Like, find another way to get out. Like, there's podcasting, yeah. there's video casting. There's all sorts of different ways of doing this. But like, if you don't like writing and you're not good at it, um, yeah. And you're inherently not motivated to do it. That is the very worst thing that you can do is to make that one of the primary marketing strategies of your company because it's just not going to work. Um, he never yeah. wrote back. Um, so either, <laughs> it either solved his problem or it really didn't solve his problem. But uh, maybe, maybe he taken your advice and didn't write because he just thought it's not my forte. So I'm just going to stop right there. Yeah, he's like, you know, point. Okay, I'm done. Um, but yeah. you have to start like if you start with you, if you start your business with things that inherently um, are demotivating for you or not nourishing for you. Um, and that those become your primary strategies that you're going to struggle. Now the trick becomes when you start talking about sales, which are not a lot of people's forte. Like, you know, we don't wake up in the, most of us, some of us do, but not most of us don't wake up in the morning with the idea of getting on the phone and talking to someone about buying a product or service. Right. Yeah. Um, and so there's things like that, that you may not like to do, but they're not necessarily, against the core of who you are, right? They're just a means to an end and you can get good at a means to an end. Um, and you can also figure out how to do it smarter. So, um, yeah, well, I've actually, so going back to that, it's an interesting point. We've, um, we had a class recently, which is called selling authentically. And we found the same thing. We have a lot of entrepreneurs in our community who are quite introvert because I think more purpose driven people tend to be more introvert and they all really struggle with that side of things. And actually what we found is if, I guess partly if you believe in the product you're selling, then that's the first thing is like, that's, you know, so why would you create something that you don't believe? Cause ultimately why, why would someone else buy it? Um, but then I think also when you realize actually I, my values are at the heart of this business and the product I'm building is something that I believe is needed in the world. Then it's just about sharing that. It doesn't feel like you're selling. So actually someone called me the other week, an amazing salesperson. I wanted to put the phone down to them, you know, but actually what he was saying was it was it just came from such a true place you know and that's the thing where everyone needs to be is just feeling like you're informing people and just saying no you need this you know and this is why you need it and i believe in it and you know if you don't want to do it then maybe that's your choice but we have that again again people would like come back a year later saying damn i should have listened to you <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah i mean unless you're like gary vanerchuk 
um, or a few people who are really, really good salespeople, like you can't really get someone to buy something they don't want or need. And uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of the people we're talking about, especially as you go to the sort of idealist or the martyr, or you call them the slave, right? You go to sort of those folks, right? They're like, well, I don't want to like manipulate and trick people into buying something. I'm like, you can't do that anyways, right? You're not that Mm. good, right? Um, And so let's stop the point that like that's something that you could do. How might we change this to a process of education, like as you mentioned, right? Um, How might we change this conversation to around needs validation? Like what do you actually need? Right. So on and so forth. And then you can have these sort of conversations that you have every day. But yeah, I think it's, you know, again, goes back to those ways we, we assume things have to be. You should have to sell in a certain way that makes you feel um, like a less whole person or like a less integrous person. And that's actually absolutely not true. And you're probably not going to be good at doing that anyways. Yeah. I think also it's just, um, I don't know, we found when you're playing the long game, then often you just accept that things don't happen overnight and we've had people who followed us for three or four years and they come to their first event and you know it's just it's a long sales cycle right but the trust is there and you know we'd never try and convince someone to do something that doesn't feel right for them at that time but you know when they're ready then they step forward you know so yeah i think it's uh looking not just at that one-off sale because you know yeah you can be a great salesman but ultimately if they buy something that's not right for them then they're not going to come back and they're not going to say great things about you so um i think it you know we always think about that word of mouth and just doing the right thing ultimately absolutely so um if you can give us sort of the one over many high view of like the three biggest challenges that you've seen across your community of finding this alignment what would those three biggest challenges be oh it's hard to narrow it down to three. I would say, um, I would say, actually knowing where to start is probably the first thing for people. It's like you know, it's like anything when you're starting a business or changing a career or making a big change in your life. People tend to build it up into something big and scary, and so therefore they really struggle to break it down into something really easy to start tomorrow. Right? So, it's, I want to start this business or I want to build this product. And it's going to make me happy and make the world a better place and, you know, and also make me rich. Um, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger or, or it's in their head and they never get it down on paper. So I think that's the first thing is we really try to say to people, okay, it's great to have that big vision, you know, but what do you do Monday morning? So starting small, think big, start small. Um, I would say the second thing is they're alone. So they're in a world which is very different to the one they want to be in. And so it can be a lonely place and very, I wouldn't even say courageous, stupid from the people they're with to actually make that move. Everyone around them is going, why would you want to do, why do you want to give out your big salary? Why would you want to like take a year off to do this? Why would you want to do this? You know, there's lots of questioning and doubt because the people around them are probably either jealous because they want to be that person or they just don't get it because that then, you know, ultimately challenges themselves. Um, so again, trying to find people who are thinking that way, who are also having those similar questions is really important. Um, and I'll say the third thing is just probably just a, like unknown unknowns. There's so many things that you don't know when you're starting out in business and people just blindly, even though you can read every medium post or watch every, every Gary Vaynerchuk video, you believe you're going to be different and that, um, you know, this idea is going to work or this thing is going to be easier than you think it is. So I would say just skilling up, you know, just trying to embrace everything around whether you start a business or not, the entrepreneurial mindset, you know, just how can you assume that you know nothing and that everything is a, um, a chance to learn? Because, you know, we've been doing this 15 years and 
I probably feel like I know less now than I did when I started, but only because you know, it's like the more you know, the more you don't know. So trying to understand that you're never done. When we first started our business, myself and Carlos, when we started our agency, I think we, we almost locked ourselves away for like three or four years thinking, okay, we know what we're doing. We're starting a business. We're, people are paying us to help them build their products. So we just kind of didn't feel the need to really get out there and network too much. And then you start to look up and think, what are we doing? You know, we could have probably, you know, been way more productive, got a better client list and um, got more awareness about what we're doing by breaking out of that bubble. But we would have never have known that unless we actually did it the hard way. So I guess everyone makes that mistake of thinking they can do it and they don't need anyone's help. Um, and then you soon find out that it's another probably easier way to go about it. Yeah, and you only figure it out after you've paid the expensive lessons of, of figuring out the hard way. You know, it's like, oh, I could have done that. Mm. But that's part of the deal, right? I mean, yeah. the way I like to think about it these days is like resilience is more important than talent. Um, mm. Because, you know, you can start with a high level of talent and not be able to make through the ups and downs and the unknown unknowns and the setbacks and, you know, whatever comes up. Um and doesn't matter, right? Or you can come in with low talent and have high resilience, right? And learn as you go. But that's where just, you know, a lot of people, when they first start out, yes, there is this, like, it's hard to start. But somehow we assume that we should know what the hell we're doing when it comes to running our own business. And especially, I'm going to go for a call out for MBAs who have been mm -hmm. trained, who have been trained how to run someone else's business and a certain mm -hmm. type of business as is. I've, I've seen with them so much sort of shame around their inability to get their, in their own words, their inability to get their act together in their own business. And it's like, I know this, I've been trained. I spent so much money <laughs> being trained on how to do this and I can't get it together. It's like, no, 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 no. You've been trained how to run someone else's business in this context. It yeah. may not apply in this bootstrappy, you know, startupy, you know, trying to you know, turn chaos into order place that you are in mm. right now. So you're going to have to understand it. Yes, you spent all that money, but you're starting here, right? Yeah. You're going to have to learn as you go, just like the rest of us, right? Um, so welcome to the party. I think it's very different holding the vision for something. Um, a friend of ours calls it like having the telephone line and no one else has got it. And you're there trying to you know, have this line to the vision and, and trying to relay it to everyone you're with, right? And so whilst you're, if you're trying to do that and also like be the operations guy and trying to build the business that way, it can be really difficult. So I think, like you said, it's... It's a lot easier when it's someone else's. Someone else is the client, ultimately, and you're just making the numbers work. Um, there's a great um, word that I discovered recently called equanimity, which you may know of. But mm -hmm. the idea of equanimity is ultimately just how do you um, react to the highs and lows of anything. And obviously, in business, that's something that you said. Like it's the roller coaster ride. So not being too excited when things go well, and not being too down on yourself when things go go bad. And you know, those things can happen all in one day or in an hour in some some cases. So you know, we've seen, like you said, with the resilience thing, like, I think it's a good filter as well. Like some people we've seen have a great ideas come through our programs. And then after a few weeks, or the first bit of negative feedback they get, there's that quote from Mike Tyson was like, everyone has a plan till they get punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> um, someone gets that first bit of bad feedback. And then they're like, oh, okay, this idea is not going to work. Okay, I'll just go back to my job. It's like, hang on, dude, what are you doing? You know, just go out there and give it a second go. Or you know, just tweak the business, whatever it is. But they obviously weren't passionate enough to see that vision through, which is, again, a good filter. So, yeah, I think um, you soon find out whether people are committed to something. And we always ask people, like, think about your idea. And if you think you could do this for 10 years without the money, then maybe it's a go. <laughs> yeah. And that's always a good one. 
Yeah. And, and it's kind of like on that failure thing or like where they perceive the negative feedback being failed. It's like, okay, great. You got like, you know, a thousand more failures to go. Uh, and so just go ahead and yeah. talk that and put that one on the belt, move on to the next one. Right. Cause that's, exactly. that's the name of the game. And if you think it's going to be different than that, like I have yet really to encounter someone that's, that's achieved success in their business or in their creative career who doesn't have a whole kit full of failures and rejections and, you know, didn't quite work out, you know, just sort of stacked in there. And they could tell you all about them if you really wanted to know. Um, yeah. But that's just kind of, I mean, though we don't want to, have people use sloppy thinking and sloppy mindsets and things like that just to generate failures, like, because that's the right thing to do. Right. Just understand that. Yeah. It's, it's part of the process and your unique business is going to be different, right? The way you show up your unique skills, values, competencies, perspectives. Um, there's, there's no one else that's going to be able to do that, right? No one else is going to put it together that way, which means you're going to have your own unique ways in which those failures and setbacks show up for you though. They're going to fall into several broad types, which, you know, as you get experience, you're like, oh, it's that particular type of problem that you're having. Um, mm. And that's just part of the experience you get when you do it for a while. Exactly. Something which gives us all a bit of resilience. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So um, we sort of talked about the challenges your community faces when it looks at what you and your partner are facing. Like, how do you, what, what are the biggest challenges you guys are facing when it comes to this alignment and how are you working through them? Um, well, the interesting thing is we were old school friends. So myself and Carlos have known each other since we were like seven years old or something. So that's, um, actually been a real strength for the business because despite what people say and not going to business with friends or family for us, it's been a a really positive move because it's, yeah, I think it's quite a lonely place. Like I said, building a business So being able to have an ally and and a trusted ally, then that's, that's been a good thing. Um, I think for us, it's really, I guess a couple of things really. One is building a movement and a business at the same time. So um, having, I guess, a really, and actually this is an interesting thing for us. We never started the Happy Start School as a business. It was an idea. We were running our agency at the time. It was almost the frustration that we had around people coming to us wanting to build the next Facebook because we were building digital products. Um, but very little of that was based on the fact they just wanted, they would just want to be on that treadmill, right? And so... Those kinds of people were driven by money, and so the decisions that we ended up having ended up sort of diluting the quality of the product because they were just looking at the numbers, all right? And so, you know, Happy Startup School was partly an idea we had around bringing more happiness to entrepreneurship. Actually, like, if we're going to build products and businesses, let's do let's build stuff that matters that actually solves a real problem rather than just another dating app. Um, so I guess that's one thing is, like, since we started Happy Startup School, like, the ethos and the values and the mission have been very clear over the last three years since we closed the agency, we've been trying to work out what does the business look like. We had lots of um, sort of energy behind us. The community was starting to build. The events were taking off. But we've been kind of like, you know, building our wings on the way down. So that's been fun trying to, like I talked about really with the, um, uh, almost like the martyr or the slave is like, how can we, you know, keep our own sort of needs in check? Because that's one thing that last year we really, struggled with is they were you know almost burnt out from running the events and building the online community and realizing okay this is our limit you know we can't do this anymore if we're going to keep doing this for the next five ten years or even longer how can we um really understand what our limits are so yeah i think that's one thing again you push yourself to the limit and know how far you got to pull back and now we're much clearer about that what the business looks like and actually how the community can grow and how we can delegate more and allow people within the community to sort of, you know, be ambassadors for us. Um, I guess the other thing is we've got an interesting business in that we 
you know, we've built our reputation on the events, but the, they don't really sustain us all year round. Events are a real hard thing to, to organize, as I'm sure you know. Um, but they've been the, the sort of building blocks of the brand. Like our summer camp, we bring 200 people together every September. It's three days of talks and workshops, and it's an amazing experience. This will be our sixth year. And that's really how the, the online communities form because people naturally want to stay connected and, and keep accountable and keep in check and keep those friendships going. Um, but yeah, we kind of like transition at different times a year from like just being fully online and, and building the online community to planning for an event. So like now we've got an event in the Alps in a few weeks, which is our next retreat aptitude where we take 25 entrepreneurs together for seven days of kind of mix of work and play. We have lots of activities like rafting and throwing ourselves off mountains and lots of group sessions where we have a chance to share our challenges. Um, so every quarter we have a big event. And so that kind of is great and then we come back from them we kind of like almost need a, a break ourselves uh, and then we kind of go into the online mode so we almost yeah flip-flop between these two things we kind of envy people who just have one product and they just you know move the needle in one direction but at the same time we like variety and that makes life interesting and I guess I've enjoyed the challenge of trying to build an online community that feels meaningful and gets some way to the that human interaction you get where you sat around a campfire or having a meal together and it will never be the same but like it feels like technology is getting closer to that and so that's a fun challenge for us is like what can we build into an online community that uses the technology for the purpose but also you don't spend 24 hours a day on it um and that's an interesting thing for us is how do you measure success in an online community because we don't want people unlike facebook we don't want people to be on there all the time um we just want to get in and out when they need to um, and I guess the other thing is just knowing, knowing what, um, how big you want something to get. So knowing, you know, what your limits are too. So like, we feel like happy startup schools are great. Um, almost like a gift that can be used in loads of different ways, but at the same time, so the ego in me is like, I want this to be huge and have millions of people around the world loving us and to be traveling around to every city in the world. And there's a happy startup school, but at the same time, um, you know, we've got a team of four. And actually, I don't want to have a huge company. I just want to have a small team but make a big impact. So, yeah, constantly going through this battle between the ego and just, oh, I just want to sit on the beach and do nothing. <laughs> so I want to be the lazy guru, you know. Um, and that's the, yeah, I guess the, there's a, I've got another book, a guy called Jamie Catter wrote a book called Insanely Gifted. And he um, he talked about each of us being a, a wise guru in charge of a mental patient. And, uh, you know, the wise guru is know what to do, but the mental patient's the one kind of, you know, questioning it all the time. So, yeah, I don't think any of us are immune from that. Yeah. You know, the impact thing is interesting. And, and what I try to remember is that, um, you know, look at Peter Drucker and his career. Um, and Peter Drucker, in case you don't know, is um, the most influential um, business management thought leader of the last century, right? And so most of what we know about corporations and management, um, we, we've gotten through his body of work. And Peter Drucker was, you know, Peter Drucker Inc. was Peter Drucker and his secretary. And that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And you think about the amount of impact that he had. Now, you can question, you know, some aspects of it. But you, if you just look at terms of gross output and thought leadership and, and changing, mm -hmm. changing minds, um, it's hard to beat Peter Drucker. And again, one person and a secretary, you know. Um, and so I think that's the gift that we have these days is that it lets us think like, okay, what's what's our broadest impact that doesn't necessarily mean that we've got a thousand employees so you don't necessarily have to go that route now sometimes you might but you know i think that's the edge but what i will say 
is if there's a need for you to lead a broad group of people, right? Mm. And you're that person, then I'm not trying to say that that person in a bad way, then you might not want to build a small company that has big impact. Yeah. You might want to big a big company that has big impact. And you just got to know that from the beginning. Yeah. And I know when we ran our agency, we'd meet a lot of other founders. We had a small team, like 10 people. And then we'd, meet, we'd think, okay, we want to get, you know, you'd start to think, okay, we want to grow to 100 or we want to, bring in a million and he's just thinking numbers. It doesn't make, you know, there's no meaning attached to those numbers. Right. And so we meet people who run those companies and they'd have just first world problems. Like, okay, we need to bring in 200 K a month just to keep the, you know, the mouths being fed. And so it, for us, it was just this idea of just feeding the beast. You're just bringing in projects and bigger projects and they look great from the outside, but inside you're just kind of, you know, like a headless chicken trying to keep everything going. And so, yeah, that made us realize, no, we don't, wanna, we don't want to be that company. It doesn't, doesn't work for us even though it might work for them but often when you speak to the people behind it like you were saying before you know often the guy with the app isn't it's not all rosy you know so there's the kind of uh, the outward view and then there's like what it actually feels like day-to-day -day inside and that's I guess the thing that we really get interested in when you have those conversations with founders and entrepreneurs is like okay how's it actually going like for you what's the biggest challenges like you're asking you know and once you get people to be vulnerable and to have those conversations, then you suddenly realize we're all just humans trying to make our own way in the world. And no one's immune from all the stuff that we go through. And um, that's quite empowering for anyone to know that, the whole imposter syndrome. You know, once you, um, once you meet a hero and you realize they're struggling, okay, that's, that's good. You know, I feel good now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once you realize that no one knows what the hell's going on, like yeah. you can give yourself a break if you don't know what's going on. You're like, okay, I'm just like everybody else. All right, so we'll yeah. figure it out, you know? And even sometimes you think they've definitely got it worked out and then you meet and you're like, wow, even they didn't. They're just really good at convincing us that they do. Yeah. I mean, in the business place and we'll sort of, you know, as we start to wrap it up, there's one thing we have to look at is when we look at storytelling, especially via social media. And if you're listening to the show, you know that I'm going to say this a lot. Um, oftentimes what we're doing is comparing the positive curated experiences of other people that they put out for us to see against our sort of messy negative stories at the same time. You're like, Oh, they've got it all figured out because of their Facebook post or because of that thing. It's like, no, 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 no. That's their curated experience, right? No one, very few people puts their dirty laundry out on the internet for everybody to see, right? We always curate it. And, you know, it's kind of like when you see people taking 20 pictures to find the perfect selfie, you don't see the 19 that didn't make it. You see the one that did, right? And so be very careful when you're looking out for evidence of what's working and how people are doing and what's making people happy. Happy. Just realize you're getting your curated experience. Um, you need to make, maybe dig a little bit deeper to find the uncurated experience to see what it's really like. Um, and I think if that's important for you to do to sort of – well. I think doing so will break the, the comparisitis that we have. Like I'm going to compare myself to Lawrence and how his business is doing, what they're doing and so on and so forth. Well, yeah. if you want to do that, at least understand, or if, for, if you're called to do that, at least understand you're seeing a curated experience. You're not seeing the full experience. Um, and then later on, you realize that what the hell Lawrence is doing has no bearing to what you need to do. Right. Exactly. And so like, how about you just watch your own lane and do that? Exactly. And that's why we always try and write quite honestly about our business and share the story and the, the ups and downs, because I think that's partly is good for me and for us to share those learnings and to offload a bit, but also just for people to know that, yeah, um, it's not easy. It's not an easy gig, this stuff. And so once you know that there's a lot of thought goes behind decisions that can seem on the outside quite quite hard to make, then I think it's good for people. A, I think it actually does help you build your brand because people trust you and they like following your journey. But at the same time, 
um, yeah, I think it's good to know that people ahead of you are, you know, going through different problems, but it's like being a parent, the, the problems don't get easier, they just get more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, so as today's guest, you get to leave our listeners with a challenge or an invitation, depending upon which one most resonates with you. So based upon what we've talked about, what would you challenge or invite our listeners to do? I guess it's an invitation. A challenge feels like something more of a should. Um, so on the basis we're talking about coulds, not shoulds, I would I would invite people to, I guess, just take some time out to, to look after themselves. I think, um, you know, we all have busy lives. We have families to look after. We have lots of commitments. And I think um, when you just take time just for yourself, whether that's 10 minutes in the morning to do some meditation, go for a walk, or whether it's a whole week, you know, where you can spend time with other people who are on that path, then yeah, just not having any attention, not having any purpose behind it, just, just having that space and just letting your thoughts and your ideas come and you never know what come from it. You know, lots of people come to us wanting to be happier or find their purpose or, or, um, you know, make money. But ultimately I think we can never tell people what to do. They, they need to find those answers themselves. So we've just found by creating that space and, just letting the ideas flow and actually daydreaming. It's just something it's, I've got kids and I'm just trying to, you know, they say, I'm bored. I want the iPad. It's like, no, no, that, that was called daydreaming when we were kids, you know, <laughs> it's like, um, and even my kid was having a bath the other day and he said, that was great. I was just thinking in my head. I was like, wow, that's just a great way of putting it, you know? And so I think, yeah, just getting back to that time where you're at a bus stop or wherever, you just don't pick up your phone and just, just daydream. And, and all my best ideas have come in those times when I've probably, thought I should be doing something else. So yeah, I, that would be my invitation. And then from there, just follow that thought and don't, don't let it die because yeah, ultimately you need to act on that too. Lawrence, it's been fantastic jamming with you. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right, listeners. So you heard it from Lawrence. What can you do between now and the next time you hear the Productive Flourishing podcast or a week from now, in case you're an infrequent listener, um, to create more space in your life and in your world. And what we're going to say here is leave it to be, um, leave it open space. Don't make that space be something. You're not going to take the space so that you have insights, so that you have this. Just create space and see what happens. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that will help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes.